0: Good morning again. Uh, it is good to be here this morning. Uh, Nate, if you would go back just like one slide maybe, maybe two. Go back. One more. Yeah, that, that soul, though all hell, should endeavor to shake. Um, I don't know if you've become aware of it or not, but the world, hell, Satan is trying to shake your soul. And so you've probably noticed the theme already in our songs this morning, that we are constantly trying to point one another to the firm foundation, the sure and steady anchor that we have in Jesus Christ that will allow us to obey the command that we're going to get at the beginning of our passage this morning, which is rejoice in the Lord, right? You can't rejoice in the Lord if you're being tossed to and fro by everything else. So we have to turn to the sure and steady anchor. This has been a week uh, for all of us together. A lot of times it's like one person or one family or a few people are going through a thing. Uh, but I feel like a lot of us are going through a similar thing with the uh, happenings currently. And safety is very much on our minds, right? Safety for our troops on the ground at the airport in Kabul and other places. Safety for the Afghans who remain in Afghanistan, many of which we made promises to get out. Safety for thousands of refugees who have escaped. I don't know if you've ever been somewhere brand new where nothing is familiar to you, they need safety. Safety for each of us as the Delta variant of COVID-19 goes through our county and through our country. Safety for our children as many begin school last week and this coming week. And honestly, that's not even to mention all the normal dangers of our life with, oh yeah, it's hurricane season, right? Oh yeah, there's still... Uh, normal illnesses and other things that are happening, cancer, car accidents, all of the normal things. So our passage this morning is going to provide us with something perhaps a bit surprising as we are told to rejoice in the Lord and that rejoicing in the Lord is going to be a safety for us or a safeguard for us. So if you haven't done so already, please join me in Philippians chapter 3. If you do not have a Bible, please look around in one of the shelves nearby. There should be a black, hardcover, provided Bible. Uh, Feel free to grab that one. Follow along with us in Philippians chapter 3. There's a table of contents at the beginning of that Bible or your Bible, Philippians Uh, chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. And as we've been studying through this book, we have seen a a pervasive theme through all the services That we are to pursue gospel-centered unity, right? The church, we're supposed to be together. Pursue gospel-centered unity for the sake of gospel advancement, right? So not just to stay where we are, but to advance the good news of Jesus Christ. In all circumstances, so whatever's happening in our lives, all of the circumstances, to the glory of God... Right? To the glory of God, not to our glory. So that's kind of the theme of the entire book of Philippians. In our passage this week, we're really going to hone in and be focusing on that last phrase, to glorify God in all circumstances, to glorify God. Here's what we see in our passage this morning. Glorify God by rejoicing in the Lord. Glorify God by rejoicing in the Lord. So pick it up with me in Philippians chapter 3, starting at the beginning of the chapter. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let us pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we do not have to wonder and speculate about what you would have for us in this season or any season in life. But instead, we can turn to your scriptures where you have revealed yourself. God, I pray that it would be a comfort to us, that it would be a security for us, and that it would help us and allow us to rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, this morning, glorify God by rejoicing in the Lord. Our passage this morning is going to break down pretty neatly into Uh, three big sections, we're going to see that we are to rejoice in the Lord. We're going to see that we are to place our confidence not in yourself, but in Christ. And that we are to press on to the upward call of Christ. So first, from verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. Paul says that rejoicing in the Lord provides for us safety For the long haul of the Christian life. The Apostle Paul's instructions in chapter 3 and verse 1 are very simple. Rejoice in the Lord. And Paul knows that he has told them this instruction before. Perhaps he said it verbally. Perhaps he's alluding to some of the joy and rejoicing he's already been talking about in this letter. I'm sure he also knows that he's going to say again that they are to rejoice in what we would call chapter 4. In chapter 4 and verse 4, he's going to say this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say, rejoice. So Paul is being very repetitive about his instruction to Christians that they are to be rejoicing in the Lord. And Paul knows he's being repetitive. Notice what he says, To write the same things to you, that's no trouble for me. I'm not concerned about that. I love this. The Apostle Paul is not concerned about being repetitive in his instructions to the church. So often in Christian ministry, especially in our context, we're trying to be creative. We're trying to be new. We're trying to do the next big thing. So often we just need to focus on being faithful. And it's okay at times to be repetitive. Paul says repetition is no trouble at all. And notice what he says at the very end of verse one. He also says, and it is safe for you. You may have a slightly different English translation. And it says that that this is a safeguard for you. This is something that can protect you. Paul says that the repetition of encouraging one another to rejoice in the Lord is a safeguard for the people of God to remind one another to rejoice in the Lord provides safety for the Christians individually and safety for the church. Now, I've learned in life that there's at least two different kinds of safety, right? So we think about safety. There is safety that allows me to stay still, and there is safety that allows me to move forward into danger, I've learned this lesson not through some like intense study of the scriptures, but just from my experiences in Iraq and Afghanistan. You see big bases with high walls and sandbags and HESCO barriers and all those things. That is safety, at least allegedly, to stay still. To stay in one location for a long period of time. But there are other types of safety that allow us to move out into danger. That may be a platoon of armed Marines walking with me. That may be artillery support to cover us. That may be air support overhead. These are things that provide safety to move out into danger. But what does that look like for the Christian? Paul says that rejoicing in the Lord and regularly encouraging one another to rejoice in the Lord provides a safeguard for us. It's safe for us. I would argue that this is the type of safety that is so sure that it actually enables us to move out into the world and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, not a safety that causes us to cower back in our positions of safety, safety that enables us to move towards hurting people, not away from them, safety that allows us to move towards those who are ensnared by sin, not away from them safety to move towards the brokenness of this world, not away from it. It allows us to obey the instructions of the Lord Jesus to take the gospel to the nations. That's what we're called to do. Jesus told his disciples at the end of his life, go therefore and make disciples of what? All nations. All nations. This is the type of safety that allows us to do that. We can even take the gospel to really hard places like Afghanistan that we prayed for this morning. Places where taking the gospel is illegal, which there are many of those in the world. Places where taking the gospel could land us in prison for the gospel, just like the Apostle Paul is as he is penning these words. It even gives us safety to go to places where it may cost us our life, just like it eventually cost the Apostle Paul his life. For you, it may be taking the gospel to scary places like to your uh, co workers, it may be places like the barracks on Camp Lejeune or New River. It may be taking it to uh, other people in your apartment building, those people that you see passing every day to and from your car. It may be walking down the street, if you live in a neighborhood, to go to those who are far from Jesus, even though they live right down the street. Rejoicing in the Lord gives us a safety to move towards these hard places. As one writer and speaker says, all the easy places, we've got those covered, right? All the easy places for gospel advancement, those are covered. It's the hard places that are left. Rejoicing in the Lord also allows us to move towards brokenness by caring for the orphan, as the Bible instructs us time and time again, to bring the hurting and the broken and the sick and the difficult into our homes, to love them as though they are our own children, to show them the love that God has shown us. So what has robbed you of joy this week? The type of joy that provides safety and security to move forward and advance the gospel message. What has robbed you of this ability to rejoice this week? What has kept you from walking forward in Christian obedience and Christian joy? If you have failed this week, as I'm sure you have, and I'm sure I have as well, the aspect of this instruction that we're missing in the moments that we are unable to rejoice, is that little phrase, in the Lord. We're trying to find joy in things that were never meant to provide true and lasting joy. We're seeking for joy elsewhere. We're seeking for it in places that lasting joy cannot be found. We are seeking for joy in cheap substitutes. And honestly, this is exactly where the Apostle Paul takes us next. In verses 2 through 11, we see this. Place your confidence not in yourself, but in Christ. Place your confidence not in yourself, but in Christ. The Apostle Paul tells the Philippian church, That they are to beware of people who tell them to put their confidence in the flesh. Namely, those who are requiring the ongoing strict adherence to all of the Jewish law. And that Christianity is to be added into strict adherence of the Jewish law. Not instead a fulfillment of those things. And so he's talking to predominantly Gentile believers and he's saying... Look, we cannot put our confidence in the flesh. We cannot put our confidence in ourselves. Paul says in verse 3, he says, We are the circumcision. There's actually a play on words here in the original language. He says, look, they are mutilators of the flesh. We are the true circumcision, which is kind of an interesting play that he does there. They're the, the ones saying we have to be externally circumcised. They're the ones that are getting it wrong we're actually the ones that get it right. He also, he calls them dogs in verse 2. Look out for the dogs, right? That was a derogatory term that these folks, the Judaizers, would have had towards Gentiles. And he actually flips the script on them and he says, no, 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 they're the dogs. He says, the true circumcision, the ones who are right, are those who worship Verse 3, those who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. In this, Paul says that those who advocate for this external religious activity, but who miss the Spirit of God and the glory of Jesus Christ, that is fake religion, that is false religion. Those who worship God by the Spirit of God and the glory of Jesus Christ, that is real and true religion. He goes on to say, instead, we are to put no confidence in the flesh, no confidence in our abilities. Now, honestly, the Apostle Paul takes a little turn here that's initially surprising to me. Maybe it is to you as well. I I would think that he would look at the Philippians and he would begin at this point to start to point out their failures, right? Hey, don't put any confidence in the flesh because look, your flesh has failed this week. right? Your flesh has failed you and here's all the ways that your flesh has failed you so don't put your confidence there. Put your confidence in Christ Jesus who never fails. Right? That would have been a good place for the Apostle Paul to go, potentially. And there is truth in what I just said but that is not where Paul goes in this passage. Instead the Apostle Paul starts talking about his success in the flesh. His reasons that he could put his confidence in his own flesh if that were a worthy endeavor at all. He points out to his earthly, outwardly religious success. He talks about his birth into the people of God, the Israelites. He talks about that he was born into the tribe of Benjamin. He points to his religious activity, his zeal, his gains that he did before he knew Christ. But then notice what he does about all of those things. He says that his religious actions done apart from the Spirit of God and the glory of Christ Jesus, he calls all of that loss in verse 7. He calls it loss. It's like he's adding things up. He's like, all right, I got all these things that I could count is like worthy of something, but I count all that as loss. In verse eight, he makes it crystal clear. He he puts these things on the side of a scale and he says he counts all of that as loss. He counts all of that as rubbish because on the other side of the scale or on the other column to his good, he puts the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. So he says, look, I did all these things. I'm born in this way. I followed the law. I'm a, I was uh, born into the tribe of Benjamin. Look, I'm zealous. Like I was, I was working hard for this. I was, cruci- I was uh, persecuting the church. He says, I count all of that as lost because there's something better. And the something better, the something greater is to know Jesus Christ, the worth of knowing Jesus, the worth of knowing Christ. And so I'm sure this week you have messed up in your attempts in this life. I I have to imagine that like me, there was something that you set out to do this week on Sunday night that now the next Sunday morning you failed. You're like, I didn't do that. I wanted to do better at this thing. And if I'm honest, I, I didn't do better at it. I wanted to do this good thing, and it just didn't get done this week. And perhaps you know that those failures and those setbacks and those shortcomings, or maybe for you it's even outright sin or outright rebellion against God, perhaps you know that those things display a desperate need for a Savior. And you would be right. But have you also considered, have you also considered, that in addition to that reality that your failures leave you in need of a savior. But also, have you considered that your good works, your religious activity, your obeying the laws of God, your morality, your attending church, your honesty, your doing well at your job, your serving the church, your serving your family, all of it, all of those things, we should be counting as loss if they are not done according to the Spirit of God and the power of the Spirit of God and for the glory of Jesus Christ. All of those things we are to count as loss. We are to count as rubbish. Not only are we not to put our confidence in our failures, that's like elementary, right? That should be obvious to us. But we are also not to put our confidence in our ability to do good things. We are not to place our confidence even in our ability to do a little bit better tomorrow. We are not to place our confidence in the ability that we did a little bit better this week than we did last week. Our confidence should be in none of those things. Our confidence instead is to be, in, is to be placed in Christ and in Christ alone. When we put our confidence here, then we will be free to rejoice. When our confidence is in Christ, we can rejoice in the Lord. So take a little inventory. Where have you been placing your confidence this week? Where have you been seeking for joy this week? Has it been in your ability to do a little bit better this week than you did last week? Has it been in past achievements like, well, I did something really cool for the Lord 10 years ago. I'm sure that makes me and God cool now, right? Well, I'm sure God understands. I got a lot of stuff going on and it's like lots of really important stuff going on. I'm sure he understands and I'm sure he'll just grant to me and give to me rejoicing. Where have you been placing your confidence? Where have you been seeking joy this week? Is it in your own self or is it in the righteousness and salvation of Jesus Christ? Only when we rejoice in the Lord will we find true and lasting rejoicing. Now, in this moment, if you've been following along with what the Apostle Paul is doing and how he's trying to carry us along to this rejoicing in the Lord, hopefully I'm preaching it in a way to help carry you along You may be thinking to yourself, all right, I got it, I'm good, man, you're right, I've been placing my confidence in myself, or my past abilities, or my theoretical future abilities, I've been doing that, but nope, I need to place it in the Lord, I'm good now, thanks a lot, I got this, right? In the words of my exuberant and joy-filled five-year-old, I got this, right? Maybe that's where you're at at this point. But I want you to read with me verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So what we see here in verses 12 through 16 is this, that we are to press on to the upward call of Christ. Press on to the upward call of Christ. Paul explains in this section that he's not there yet. He has not arrived. He has not already obtained it. He is still striving. The things that he is calling the Philippian church to do, and by extension what he is calling us to do, he has not yet gotten it. He's not yet attained it. He's pressing on to it, and he would encourage us to do Likewise, read with me again verse 14. I, says it again, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul is pressing on to something that he has just said that he cannot earn on his own. He is straining forward to a righteousness that he himself cannot achieve apart from Jesus Christ. It kind of goes along with, uh, the passage a few weeks ago, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who wills and works within you. Right? We work in faith that Christ is working in us. Now, this may sound like a contradiction, but it is not. We are to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We are to keep our eyes fixed on others who are walking with Jesus, and we are to strain and strive and work forward to the upward call of Jesus Christ. Christ is our firm foundation, that which we can stand on, but he is also our hope that we look forward to. The authors of Hebrews says uh, he is our founder and perfecter of our faith. Christ is our mighty fortress that we can run into and be saved, as we see in the Psalms. But He is also the one we are to witness about to the ends of the earth. Christ is our sure and steady anchor that we just sang about. But He is also, we also sang in that same song, He is the shore of our salvation. He is that which we are going to. So are you bombarded this week with thoughts of safety? Like, how can, I, how can I achieve safety for me? How can I achieve safety for my family? How can I truly have safety? We must realize that safety is found in the Lord. We can have true rejoicing if we find it in the Lord. When our confidence is in the Lord, we can rejoice in the Lord repeatedly be encouraged to rejoice in the Lord, repeatedly encourage others to rejoice in the Lord. Now, I would encourage you to not be trite in doing this, right? So if somebody walks up to you this week and says, hey, my mom just passed, that is not the moment to say rejoice in the Lord, right? That's, that's not the place. First, listen, hear, commiserate, jump into that, feel the feelings. We talked about this last week, feel feelings with them. But the goal that we're moving one another towards is this deep-seated rejoicing in the Lord, okay? We're also not talking about a fake, throw on a fake smile and act like everything's okay, and and we're just kind of faking it. No, 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 this deep-seated joy. So you may have a scowl of determination on your face, Or you may just have a resting face that doesn't look like joy. I suffer with that affliction as well, right? And so you may just have that, but a deep-seated joy that there's a hope that Christ is working in our jacked-up, messed-up world. We are to put no confidence in ourselves, but instead to place our faith and our hope and our confidence in Jesus Christ. And in all of this, we must know that we have not yet arrived. There is no place in the Christian church for the person who says, Yep, I'm good. I, I used to sin. Like 10 years ago, I sinned, but now I'm good. I've got this. Because the Apostle Paul, as he's sitting in prison, hero of the faith, wrote 13 letters that we have in our New Testament. He says, Look, I haven't yet attained this. And he's an old man at this point. So at no point are we to say, "Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I've got this," right? We are constantly striving forward, pressing on to the upward call of Jesus Christ. And in all of these things, remember, the apostle Paul is writing to a church. He's writing to a group of believers, a gathering of believers. We must remember we're not in this alone have a church family. If you do not officially have a church family, join with us. Covenant with us. If you're like, eh, y'all do some things weird. Do you have another church in town that you could recommend? We can help you find another healthy church in town. I'd rather you in a healthy church in town down the street than for you to give up and not go to church. Be a part of a church family. Lock arms with others in the faith. If you're here, you have a church family, you have pastors, you have deacons, you have fellow members who we can help one another in this. In all circumstances, glorify God by rejoicing in the Lord. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, this is a challenging instruction, albeit a very simple instruction, that we are to rejoice in the Lord. God, I pray that you would give us the sure and steady anchor, the firm foundation that we can find in Jesus Christ. God, for those who are here who have never initially place their faith in Christ, who have been living life on their own accord and and trusting in their own merits and their own abilities. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict them of that. And that they would turn and trust in Jesus Christ. God, for the Christian here, the one who has made that initial commitment, but man, over the past few weeks has just wavered in it and has tried to go back to earning it. God, that you would reawaken their hearts to you. That they would take their eyes off of the earthly things, that they would take their eyes off of all the dangers of this world and they would look up and strive on to the upward call of Jesus Christ. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We turn at this point in the service to a time of response, and so uh, the musicians are going to come up, and Eddie's going to come up as well. Uh, Eddie's going to introduce us to uh, the um, partaking in the Lord's Supper, and uh, we're also going to sing some songs together. So begin to respond this morning to the teaching.